Hey, we've been in a series on formation, and we called it Practicing with Purpose, and, and that comes from essentially saying there's, there's things we see in Jesus' life that He did, and we call them practices, so things that He would do often, and we want to do those things with purpose. Now, the purpose obviously being transformation. We want to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, and that really is the essence of our discipleship or our apprenticeship to Jesus is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus so that we can go and do what Jesus did. It's as simple and as lifelong complicated as that is. And that really is what we're looking at through this series. And, and so we're going through each week a different practice. Now, the practice isn't only for a week and then you leave it behind. But we can't stay on one thing. For, you know, we can't just every week go on that. So we're just introducing you to the practices, giving you some stuff during the week with some of those handouts that we send out to give you some of those disciplines. It's up to you to then go and put those disciplines into place in your life. Okay, we've got to mature into the body of Christ and we've got to grow up in our faith and not be spoon-fed every time. And so a lot of these disciplines are those things that will lead us to Jesus through the Word, through, through prayer, through silence and solitude, and the rest of the ones we're going to go through. And so today we come to one which I know you're all going to love, and it's called simplicity. And we're going to get into what simplicity really is. But I know after last night, many of you went to bed at around midnight, so when you woke up this morning, you were like, yes, I really hope that there's a sermon on money this morning. I just, like, I can't wait for it to come. Like, can you please just preach about giving? Now, I understand the context that we're in, and there's a few caveats before we get going, um, but really, the essence of this simplicity and, and simple living is a, a practice that Jesus did do. It's something that the many disciples through the church have, through church history, have practiced, and I believe it's something that is good for us if we put, that, put it into our lives. It'll help us and it'll set us free. One of, the, one of the worst things that I see in Africa is the prosperity gospel. And if you've never heard of that, it's a, or the, the health and wealth gospel. And unfortunately, it's a, it's a message of a distortion of the true gospel of Jesus that came across from, started in America. And it essentially says that everyone who's a Christian must be blessed financially and must be healthy. God wills that everybody would be financially well off and everybody would be healthy. And I don't know if you've been a Christian for more than a few days, but that might not be true for everybody. In fact, it's not. Because, you know how I know? It wasn't true for Jesus. He had nothing. He gave up everything. And so whenever we have a framework of what the gospel should be about, we should make sure that Jesus fits into that framework. Our framework should fit into Jesus. I'm being, it's a little, I'm being a little bit facetious, but you get what I'm getting at. And so to come against that, um, I just want to, I, I believe we should have a gospel of generosity, not a gospel of health and wealth, not a gospel of it's about me. See, that, that, that prosperity gospel turns God into a one-armed bandage. Remember those gambling machines, you put some money, or the slot machine, put money in, or whatever, choose your X's and how many lines at the thing. Not that I've gambled, but I've seen other people do it. And um, I'll tell you how long ago I gambled, that's why, because I'm still, but now it's cards and thing. But that's what it is. It's like if we put enough in, eventually God's, I'm going to get a payout from God. Eventually, if I just keep giving, and that's the message, is the more you give, the more God will, get, will give you. And unfortunately, in a lot of the, the twistings of the truth, there is some element of truth in them. And that is a biblical principle, is sowing and reaping. And what you do put in, what you do sow, you do reap on, and God does give you back. God gives to those who are generous. It's true. But unfortunately, the people who benefit most in those situations is the person up front who's going, hey, the more you give, the more you'll get. Unfortunately, he's getting more and not you. 
And so I have, a, I have a serious aversion to those things, and it's taken me a long time to come to the point to speak about this stuff this morning. But just as a few caveats, I don't get paid commission. So if you give more, I don't get more. My salary is not set by me, so I can't change it, even if it's not commission. It's set by Mark and Andrew, the other elders, in conjunction with some apostolic voices that we get in, Donnie being one of them, uh, Brent Brading, and it was Mark Newman, but he's moved overseas this year. Um, but we'll probably continue to, to chat to those guys. And so that's how my salary is set. So I don't get anything, I don't get any financial benefit out of you giving more. I just get more to give away as the church. Okay? So just so we know. And um, I don't know who gives what. We don't have a register and check it off. I don't go through the bank account and make sure that the Domlios have tithed and the Lonsdales have tithed and the Wakems. There's none of that. Okay, I have no idea what, what goes on in terms of people giving. I see the amounts. I get a report from the accountants. I don't, even hand, I don't even have access to the bank account, by the way. We do everything through Bev, Russell. Okay, so there's layers of accountability in here so that it doesn't become about me, the lead guy. And I'm saying this because I know it's been a problem in churches around our country and our continent. And I want to make sure that we understand where we're at as a church so that I can preach what I'm going to preach fearlessly. So... That's, where, that's how we function and we do. We are open with our finances, and um, we do once a year, we do a financial feedback where we go, hey, this is where the money's gone this year. And we are general with it and open with it um, as part of our NPO requirements, as the government asks us to do, but we do it anyway, um, we would do it anyway, and that's not so that we are accountable to you. I mean, it's not so that we are answerable to you, it's so that we're accountable to the church, so that we can go, hey, this is where, and if you see stuff there, you're going like, Hey, wait, hang on. 97% went to salaries. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what we should be doing. Could we just have a look at why we're doing that? And then that's, you get what I'm getting at. All right. So, today is not only about tithing and giving to the church, but we will talk about that, which is why we have the caveat. So, in, in the church, um, there's often language that we use that can be unhelpful, and we call it Christianese. Um, and it's words that we use that we in the in-group, we know what it means. Things that words like, if you think in this context, a word like tithing. So to somebody who's never been in church, and, and I come from an unchurched background. So when I came into the church, people are like, you should tithe. And I'm like, tie what in a bow? Like, what am I, what a tying what? I didn't understand. Like, I couldn't hear what you were saying. Like, it's a, it's a foreign word. But it, it comes out of the Old Testament, and it was instructions given in the Old Testament, and it was stuff that was done. And the word literally means a tenth. So it literally means one-tenth. So that's what it is. It's just as simple as, as one-tenth. But we use it, obviously, in the church when um, we refer to our giving in the church. Now, I'm just as guilty of this. I get lazy, and I use the word as well. Um, Sunday morning, just, I nearly did it this morning, but because of what I'm preaching, I caught myself, and I say, can we take up the tithes and offerings? And we call it that. But it's, we, we, we need to be sure that what we, the words we use convey what we mean, all right? So, under the Old Testament law, <clears throat> there were instructions to tithe. So, the Israelites were given the instruction to tithe, to give a tenth of this, and a tenth of that, and a tenth at this time of the year, and that was under what we call the Mosaic law. So, that was the law that was given to Moses, and that was conveyed in the books that he wrote down through um, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There's parts of it in, in all of those. So, Moses then wrote down that law. Under that law, interestingly, and we think the law is tithing 10%, that's it. The Jews would have given a 10%. But interestingly, 
under the law, tithing was a lot more than just 10% of what you owned or what you earned that year. Um, ancient practices differed in, in Judaism, and scholars differ when they added up the different things. Some guys say, no, that's the same one. Some guys separate them out. Some are as high as 33% annually is what you gave as your tithe, so 33% of your income. Some are as low as 10%, but the average is around 20% of what we give. So it's a bit confusing because we see tithe and we think, all right, 10%, we need to give 10%, and that's it. And, and it's, it's a tough one because there's been some unhelpful stuff, particularly in modern Pentecostal charismatic churches around the tithe. We think 10%, and then, you know, when people don't give, the guy up front, maybe he's not greedy, but he wants the church to have a nice building or maybe a, a missions car or something like that. And so he wants to get people to give, and he says, you know, if you don't give, God won't give to you. Have you ever heard it said, like, tithing 10% as the minimum is just keeping your spiritual lights and water on? Have you heard that? I was told that early on. Super unhelpful. Not true. Don't believe it. God going to give to you. God is generous. God is beyond what we can do. He is kind beyond our own measure. He does take what we sow, and we get to reap that thing. God does give to those who give generously. But don't see it like that. The difference is a heart attitude. One is fear. The other one is as sonship, as a, is, a, is an identity thing. As I give to God because it's His anyway. So, just to be clear, we're not under the Mosaic law anymore. You get that, hey? You get that with Christ. We are not under the law. If you've read your New Testament, Paul is hard on this on a number of places. Galatians is particularly good, but he goes through it in Romans 6, 14, 15. Um, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Galatians 3, you can read from 3.15 to 4.7, where Paul writes clearly about the law and the promise and the difference there, how we are no longer under that Mosaic law. We're no longer under those um, rules and regulations that Moses had in the law. But giving a, giving a tenth, some people argue, was around before Moses. So Abraham gave a tenth. You know, he went off. Um, and so if you think that's normative for us, then every battle against five kings that you fight and you win, you should give to a priest who you happen to come across. Because that's what Abraham did. And he did it out of his, it was his own volition. The priest didn't ask him for the money. He didn't say, hey, you've won a victory. God gave you the victory. You should give back because if you don't, you're not going to get the next victory. No spiritual manipulation. Abraham, just out of the overflow of his heart, from the spoils of war, gave 10%. Jacob gives also to God because of God's protection and provision in Jacob's life. And so, even though his, Jacob's and Abraham's gratefulness and generosity guide us today, they're not normative for us. In other words, they're not, the, they're not a law for us today. We can look at those things and go, man, those are great ways to live. Those are, those are great actions. Those are great principles. And we should, we should do something like that, but we don't have to. One of the main thrusts for giving under the law was, had to do with the land, the promised land that the Israelites were given. So this, the tribes were given bits of land so they could farm, they could live off the land, they could earn an income, they had an inheritance for their children, they had somewhere to live, but the Levites weren't given any land because they were called, God said, I don't want you to go farming, I want you to serve in the temple, I want you to be available to serve in the temple. And to serve the people in the towns, wherever you're at. There were Levites not only in Jerusalem, but all over. 
And he said, I want you to be available to mediate and to serve the people. And so God said to the rest of the Israelites, because, they're, because they don't have the opportunity to work, because they've called to this specific kind of work, I want you to give to them. Take a tenth and give it to them. And then they tithe on that tenth, interestingly. The local Levites tithed, tithed to Jerusalem temple. So it was like a tithe on a tithe that went. And so that is what it is tied to very specifically for the Israelites. The tithe, the promised land, and Jerusalem were, were inextricably linked. Um, now, the Jews were required to celebrate the tithe every third year in Jerusalem. And this we are no longer required to do. We're obviously, we're not tied to the promised land anymore. You get that? We're not tied to Israel as a nation, and God has sent Jesus. We're tied to Him. We focus on Him, not as a nation. And I know that's a touchy subject at the moment, but just to say, the church is the people of God now. Okay. Every third year, the church was uh, the church. Every third year, the Israelites were required to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate um, the giving of their tithe. And this brings us to one of my favorite Old Testament verses on tithing. And I'm going to read you the whole thing. And it's a bit long, but it comes out of Deuteronomy 14. It's harder in Afrikaans. Deuteronomium. Nah. Took me months of practice to get that. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22. Uh, to the end of the chapter. I think it's 29. I'm going to read it to you. And this is, this is my favorite verses on tithing in the Old Testament. Be sure to set aside a tenth or a tithe of all that your fields produce each year. Here's what you are to do with the tithe. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place He will choose as a dwelling for His name, so that... You may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put His name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, Or anything you wish. Doesn't sound very like teetotaling Christian, does it? Sounds a bit like a party. Then you and your household, so you don't even go alone, you take everybody with you, shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. At the end of three years, uh, you know, it can end there. Anyway, you can carry on reading to the end of the chapter. What an incredible few verses on tithing. How many of us have that concept of tithing? Man, to go and give my tithe is a party. Like, let's get together and celebrate, man. Who's bringing the wine? That's crazy. We think, you're tithing. Open that thing and like the moths fly out when you're like, what have I got in here today? Oh, I'm going to put it in short arms. Do I get, I've only got a 200. Can I get some change? Man, we don't see it as celebrating. It's because we do it under compulsion, because we do it as a law, because we don't understand that everything we've got is from God. What we've been given is a blessing from God, and we ought to enjoy it. There is nothing wrong with enjoying what God has given you. Do it in the presence of the Lord so that you may revere Him. That's enough about the Old Testament. It goes on and on, and there's much in the Old Testament. Unfortunately, many, many churches today stick to the Old Testament laws on the way of giving 
how we give there. And they use that as a big stick to try and get people to give. And it works a lot of the time. But it's unhealthy. And it's not good for, for us as Christians. And it's not good for us as believers. So we understand a little bit about what the Old Testament says. And it's important because that's the foundation we build from. That tithing was introduced for the, for the, for the Israelites. And it was for a particular time for them because of the, the way that their nation was set up. And the way that God worked through them as a nation at that time. With Jesus' coming, he doesn't abolish the law, he fulfills it. The same as what Jesus does with the Ten Commandments. The Jews were keeping the Ten Commandments. They're going, hey, I haven't murdered anybody today, I'm doing well. And Jesus says it's not about physically murdering somebody. It's do you have, if even if you have anger in your heart towards that person you've sinned, go and ask God for forgiveness. And he goes on with the Ten Commandments and doing that in the Sermon on the Mount. And they go, this is impossible. And he goes, yes, exactly. That's the point. It's meant to be impossible. You're meant to go, I can't do this, God. I need you. I need, like I have to throw myself upon your grace because otherwise I, am, I cannot keep the law. Never mind the Ten Commandments, but there's 624 other ordinances that go with it. You can't keep it all. It's impossible because we are sinful by nature. We need a Savior. We need someone from outside. That was the point. One of the points of the law was to go, hey, God, I can't do this. Like it's too much. I need a Savior. But we turned it into, let's keep the rules. Who can keep the rules best? Guess to be in charge. And that's where we came up with this weird religious system that is just unhealthy. So, as we look to the New Testament, to Jesus and the rest of the New Testament for direction on this, and it, the New Testament does speak about money. It does speak about giving. No one in the New Testament speaks more about money than Jesus, by the way. But it does speak about giving and generosity. And you know that in, in those passages, and I'm going to say something risky that's going to challenge you, and you can go and check your Bible if you want, but there's not one reference, or in, uh, there's a reference to tithing, but there is not one instruction to the church to tithe, as the Old Testament did. There is not one instruction for the church to tithe in the New Testament. So why do we do it? To tithe how the Old Testament was. We do it because the law teaches us how to live. You see, Paul says in Galatians 4, where, where, he, where he goes against the law, and he says the law was given as an instruction. The law was given as a, as a, as a master to teach you while you were young, like a child who needs an instruction. So if you imagine, if you've ever taught your child to ride a bicycle, first bicycle you get's got fairy wheels on it. You know those extra two little wheels that, you, that bolt on at the back so they can't fall over because they don't know how to balance on a bicycle yet. And so you get them the one with the fairy wheels. And they learn the pedals and they learn the steering and they, they get confident. And then you, you lift the, you don't take the fairy wheels off. You lift the fairy wheels up a little bit. And then the bike can wobble a little bit. And they start to like, yo, yo, and it's a bit weird. And they start to get the feeling of it. But eventually those training wheels have to come off. But by now the brain knows how to pedal. It knows how to operate. It knows how to work the brakes. So they don't have to think about that. They can focus on balancing. And the law was like that for us as people. The law is like those training wheels. It's put on to help us in the beginning so we don't fall off and crack our pip open. And so that we can learn things slowly and steadily. We can learn the important things. And then, but eventually, if you want to ride a bicycle properly, Nick, have you ridden a bike lately with training wheels on? It would be, a, it would be painful. You know, one of the worst things about riding a bike with training wheels is if you go through like a little hollow and your back wheel comes off the ground. You can pedal all your luck and the training wheels just stay still. And you're there like spinning. In order to ride a bike and to have full enjoyment of a bicycle, you've got to take the training wheels off. 
you can go faster, you can go around corners faster, you can do donuts, you can do like, you can skid with the brake and slide in and all the fun stuff. You can wheelie, you can do like jumps and things. To enjoy the bike fully, the training wheels have to come off. And it's the same with us in our giving. If we're going to give according to the law and the training wheels that the law put on us, we're never going to fully enjoy giving. Those training wheels have to come off and we have to give generously. We have to give over and above what that is. We have to enjoy it without the law in us. We have to enjoy it in the way that God gave to us. There is no one more generous than God. Do you know that you cannot outgive God? I've tried. I tried. And in, in preparing for this over the last few months, I have done some rough math, maths. I don't have like all the records of my giving over, but I have an idea of what I've given regularly over the years, and I added it up. And I looked at what God has given back to me. I'm still in debt. It's incredible, friends. Over the 17 or 18 years that, we've been, that I've been giving, since someone said to me, hey, you need to do this, this is why, I have received more from God, like from unknown sources, from things that are just God, where He just said, hey, let's just do this for a while. We're going to... And I'm not talking about a job that I've earned, where I've like gone and got a job and got a salary. I'm talking about crazy ways that God has given to us. I am still in debt. You cannot outgive God. It's impossible because everything is His. Grace takes us beyond the law. See, the New Testament doesn't instruct us to tithe. It instructs us to be generous. Unfortunately, we can look to Jesus' teachings and know that we're not without direction just because we don't have the law. You see, we like the law because it's clean, it's neat, 10%. I can work it out and I can just do a, like an automatic payment every month and it just goes off and like I feel like I've done my duty and I don't have to give any more. And then like when they ask for Christmas kids things, I'm like, okay, well, that can come out of my 10% from my bonus. So I can suppose I can put it. See, we like these things. Eh? We like to be like neat and tidy. But God says, I want everything. Richard Foster says this in his book on the disciplines, speaking about simplicity. He says, our freedom in the gospel, however, does not mean license. It means opportunity. And what he means is that just because we're not under the law that requires us to give a minimum of 10%, probably 20%, sometimes even 33%, it doesn't mean that we're, oh, yes, we're not under the law. We don't have to give anymore. I don't believe in tithing. You missed the point, buddy. It's not the, it's not the license that, to do whatever you want. It's an opportunity to go far beyond that. It's an opportunity to go, hey, God has given me so much more than that. How can I be generous? So, what does the New Testament say? Give generously. If you remember nothing else, give generously. Even though tithing isn't required, it doesn't follow logically that we are to hoard our possessions. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that we need to just keep everything to ourselves because now, oh well, you know, I'm the temple of God. No, that's actually, a, that you is a plural in Corinthians. So, what do we do? How is giving? Five quick things. Giving is a result of what we believe, not the belief itself. If you believe that God gave you everything, that Christ has been generous with you, that God gave His first for you in everything, then you will give. Giving is a result of what you believe. How much you give will measure how you believe. It's your own thing. I'm not gonna, no one's going to come and check on you. No one's going to ask you. You're the one who's going to stand before God one day, not me. For you. I'll stand before God for me and for what I'm responsible with. We all do that. 
Giving is a result. If we believe that God is gracious and abundant in His giving, shouldn't we live the same? He gave us the first of everything. Secondly, giving is our act of worship. This is why we do it, where we do it in our service. We believe that giving is an act of worshiping God. And the reason it's an act of worship is because we go, God, I'm going to give to you something that is mine. It's costly, and I'm going to worship you with my money. I'm going to worship you with something physical that you've given me. I'm going to give it back to you, to the praise of your name. It declares in the spiritual realms that we are His. We honor Him with what we've been given by Him. Thirdly, giving is a declaration of trust in God. And we say that, like, like taking a Sabbath rest, that we trust God for our provision when we give. We say not only, yes, I'm able to live on 90%. We say, I can give this. I need the 100%, but I can give this because I'm going to trust God to provide for me in this thing. It's an, incredible, it's an incredible thing that happens in your mind when you give to God. Not knowing where that money is going to go, by the way, but I'll get onto that now. But when you give to God, it's an incredible transaction that ha- because it takes an immense amount of trust to give away your money and go, God, I'm going to trust you for provision in something. I had a mate who saved up for a guitar. He's a great worship leader. You know him, Greg. Greg and Marisa, they've been here. Early on in our friendship with them, he saved up for a guitar. He bought a Fender Telecaster. If you know what that is, it's a cool guitar. He spent the money. It took him a long time. He, had a, he had a, didn't have a great job. He wasn't earning a packet load of money. And it took him a long time to save up for the guitar. He owned that guitar a week, and he felt God say, I want you to give that guitar away to somebody. I think it was a week, maybe a month. I want you to give that guitar away to that guy who's learning guitar. Offender, tell you. There you go. Thank you, Jesus. Gave it away. Incredible. Because he's got immense trust in God. He knows God will provide. Now he's got a Martin. He's better off. <laughs> Giving is an act of sowing. The Bible is clear, and we'll read it just now. If we sow generously, we will reap generously. It's a simple biblical principle that you can test and prove to be true. And lastly, fifthly, giving is not about what is done with the money. We don't give and go, hey, what are you going to do with this? Before I give, before I just commit to this, I just want to know, like, what projects are you guys involved in? What are you doing, you know, socially, social justice? Giving is not about what is done with the money. For us who give, and I give, by the way, I, I give every month to this church. Even though I get a salary, and you might think, that's stupid, why don't you just reduce your salary? Because it's not about the amount I get paid, it's about the fact that I give. And it should be the same for each and every one of us. See, giving is not about what, we, what is done with the money. We, we want to know what happens with the money because we want control over that thing. And we still feel responsible for the money in that. And we're like, yeah, but are you going to use it just to pay Mark? Because he's not really worth that much money every month. <laughs> Another Mark, uh, not me. A, diff- a different one. But are you just going to, I want to know what's happening. Like, how do you guys do, split up your tithes? Is it some of this? Do you use it for this? Do you use it all for that? Where does it go? You see, when we give, it's not about what happens with the money. God doesn't look at that. God looks at your heart in the act of giving. Once you give that money, you have got the full benefit of the blessing of God for your giving. God doesn't go, okay, so you've given. Now, what happened with that money? You know, not a lot happened with it, eh? So that giving, you're not going to get credited too much with that giving. Maybe give to something better and you'll get credited a bit more. That's not how God works. 
God looks at your heart when you give, and He goes, how do you want to give? Are you giving as an act of worship? Is this going, God, I trust you with this? You see, if I put a bra outside here every Sunday morning, maybe in front where everyone can see it, and we took the, took the offerings, and we drew some cash for those who had EFT'd, and we put it in a bra, and we put some lighter fluid on it and lit it on fire, would you come and give next week? Next month? It'd be hard, eh? Because you're going, you're wasting what God, what if God told me to do that with that money? Once you've given, between myself and Mark and Andrew as the elders of this church, it's our responsibility to govern that. We will stand before God for what happens for that. And that's a terrifying thing. Do you know how terrifying that is when you're going like setting budgets and stuff? Handling God's money? It's much easier to handle your own money than God's money. But it's all God's. But if we burnt that, would you give next week? If I, if I set that cash afire, would you? It's a tough question, eh? Because you want control over what's going to happen with that money. You see, once you've given it, once it's paid across, you have got the full benefit of that giving, regardless of what happens with it. Caveat, we don't burn the money. Just so you know. We try not to anyway. Haven't done it yet. But you see, when we want to control others, when we want to control what happens with our giving, that's not worship. That's not trusting God. That's not being generous. That's not sowing. And if you've never given you've never given to church. I don't know who's given and what, who hasn't. I want to encourage you to try it out. If you've never sown into the kingdom, I want to encourage you to try it out. If you've only ever given in one way, I want to encourage you to go beyond where you're at at the moment. It's one of those things that God calls the Israelites in Malachi to test him on. He says, test me on this and see if I will not open the gates of heaven. Whether that happens now or not, I don't know. But I want to encourage you. Give it a go. Test. See. So, we're commanded to give to two main things in the New Testament. When we talk about how money is given and how it is, how it is what we should give to. And it's to give to those whose work is, in, is preaching the gospel and to give to the poor and the needy. Widows and orphans. Matthew 10.10, 10, Jesus says, the worker is worth his keep. Luke 10.7, Jesus sends his disciples out and he says, wherever you go, whatever village you're in, stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 to 9 is probably the, the two best chapters to read about this. But in 9, 6, 6 to 14, Paul writes, he says, writing to the church in Corinth, he says, or speaking about money and giving, he says, is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier as, at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, 
Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. It's clear that it's okay for those who preach the gospel to receive an income from that. So I don't feel bad every month when I get my salary. It's awkward. Enough about that. Mark knows how hard this is for me. I mean, how long it's taken me to get here. Because I don't want it to be about me. and I really don't want you to feel like you're giving to me. It's the worst thing that you could do in your life. And please, if that is it, don't give. Take the money outside and burn it in a bra and go, yeah, Jesus, here's a burnt offering to you. It's not biblical, but don't let your heart be, be, be the, the thing that holds you back. So, giving to the poor. So, you know, while, while God calls us to enjoy the things that we have, and he, he says, you know, have, there's nothing wrong with that. Good things that God gives us. He gives it to us so that we can enjoy it, so that we can celebrate Him. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, so a chapter later than that part about the elders who direct their affairs. Paul writes this, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, just in case you've got the, you've switched off at the beginning because it says, command those who are rich in this present world. If you think that's not you, it is. It's every one of us in this room. We are rich, friends. You got a car, you got, how many cell phones you got? How many pairs of shoes you got? And I, I don't want to put guilt or a heavy on anybody here. I just want you to see that this is us. You see, often when we think materially, we, we love to compare up, eh? Like, who's got more than us? Like, I'm not rich, that person's rich. It doesn't matter how much money you've got, there's always someone richer, so I'm not rich. That's them, so this doesn't apply to me. But it does, friends. This is all of us. Each and every one of us are rich beyond what we could imagine. If you're unsure of that, you can drive for five minutes and find out if you're really rich or not. Thomas Schreiner writes this. He says, wealth can so easily become an idol, leading us to abandon the Lord. What a terrifying statement. Wealth can so easily become an idol, leading us to abandon the Lord. Since God is to be our treasure, believers are to give generously and freely. The discipline of being generous through giving is a way for us to break free from the bonds of the idol of wealth. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in other words, the things that you long for most is where your heart aims. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he goes on to say, don't store up treasures on earth for yourself because moth and rust and steel and you can't take anything with you. Jesus goes on and he talks about this, you know the parable of the rich young ruler. Jesus is cruising along with his disciples and this very wealthy young ruler comes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what do I do to need to be saved? And paraphrasing, and Jesus says to him, uh, you know, keep the commandments. And the guy says, I've done all that. Since I was young, I've done all that stuff. Jesus says, beautiful. Go and give away everything you have. And then come follow me. And it says the young man went away sad because he had great wealth. And you're kind of like, how are you sad if you've got great wealth? We think that great wealth is going to make us happy. But that wealth was an idol to him. It was something that held him down. 
something that, that held him in bondage. And Jesus could see that in the man's heart. In one of the Gospels, I think it's Mark, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, go and sell everything you have. Now again, that's not a normative instruction for all of us. Not all of us should go and sell everything we have. But if, if it is an idol in your heart and it is something, man, get rid of it. You see, this Mark Batterson has got a beautiful little book called All In. It means like we're all in for Jesus. And he says, the disciples, those who were following Jesus, were poor in terms of material possessions, but they accumulated a wealth of experience unparalleled in human history because they were with Jesus. But the rich young ruler forfeited a wealth of experience with Jesus because he couldn't let go of his possessions. So us, don't accumulate possessions. Accumulate experiences with Jesus. Don't let anything hold you back from being with Jesus. Is your treasure in heaven, in the presence of God, and in what He's going to bring about? Or is your treasure in your cars, your houses, your kids, your pension? Our treasure can be in anything. We're talking particularly about wealth this morning and, and getting into the discipline of simplicity, but where is your treasure? Because there's your heart as well. If someone said, we need to give till it hurts, then you know you're really worshiping God. And I think that's a bit of a, like a sadistic Christianity. But sometimes God does call us to give till it hurts. And when you give till it hurts, you'll find out where your treasure is because it's the first thing you'll think about when you're giving. And you go, hey, I might not have enough money for dot, dot, dot. That's where your treasure is. For my retirement, go on holiday, whatever. It's quite revealing. Mark Batterson goes on to say, how we spend our time and money are the two best barometers of our true, true priorities. You can say, like, I prioritize this, and this is important to me. What do you spend your time on? What do you spend your money on? Just go and have a look through your bank account, and you can quite quickly see what your priorities are. Scary. It's a scary, scary audit to do on your own life. Like, keep a diary. Like, what did I spend time on this week? Jesus carries on in this famous passage um, in, in Matthew chapter 6 about not being able to serve two masters. He says you cannot serve both God and money. And it's the only place where he gives something else besides God a name. He calls it mammon. He says you cannot serve both God and money. You're going to love one and hate the other. You've got to choose. Friends, we want to be those who are free. We want to be those who are free from the bondage of idols, free from the bondage of wealth. And, and being free from the bondage of wealth doesn't mean having little materially. You get that. You can have all the money in the world and be free from the bondage of wealth. We are not commanded to be poor. Dudley Daniel used to say, he would say, set your standard of living and then whatever you earn, it doesn't matter. If you earn more, stay at that standard of living. And then you'll have much to give because God's going to give you more. But stay at that standard of living. It's a terrible thing because what we do is when we get more, we just like, we increase our standard of living. And we get, get more and we get more and bigger and more. But then when our income goes down, it's very hard to bring your standard of living down because Willie's food is nice. It's healthy. I mean, like, it's good for me. I need to keep eating it. It's very hard to bring your standard of living down. 
And he said, if you keep your standard, you set your standard of living, then when you get more, whatever you get, you'll have more to give. You'll be able to be generous. And it's a great principle to live by. One we've tried since we heard that teaching. We've, we've tried our best to keep our standard of living at the same place and not be exorbitant or exuberant with, how, exuberant with how we live. Sometimes we've had way more money than our standard of living. Sometimes we've had less money than our standard of living. And we've had to reel it back and go, like, let's sell some stuff, get rid of it, pull it back. But when we are free from money, when we are free from the trapping of the idol of wealth, we are able to live a simple life. So the practice of simplicity that we're going to do this week is going to be a tough one for many of us. Richard Foster writes, If money has a grip on your heart, give some away and feel the inner release. Simplicity is freedom, not slavery. Refuse to be a slave to anything but God. Refuse to be a slave to anything but God. So this week our practice is going to center around simplicity and each day we're going to explore how we can live simply and please friends i'm not going to go too much into it now because we're going to explain it as we send the things out every day but please don't let this be a heavy don't go from like slavery to money to slavery to simplicity we want to be slaves to jesus and when we do we are free try the practice give it a go but that's between you and god it is clear in the new testament god loves a cheerful giver Paul says when he speaks to the church, he says, hey, I want you to give regularly, I want you to give repeatedly, and I want you to give in proportion to what you have. That's how we are to give. God might give you the, the gift of generosity, and then it's easy to give. I know some people like that, who just like constantly giving away money. And you know what God does? That barrel never empty. It keeps getting full. One of the most generous people I know is a pastor, Rory Dyer. For those of you who know him, that must have given away millions of rands. Millions. They've just built a building in Pretoria that's tens of millions. And God trusts him with much because he gives away much. And he's given away to me as well. Incredibly generous. Got a gift of generosity. But for the rest of us who don't have that gift, we have to be disciplined about it. And we have to go, right, let's put this practice in place in our lives. How can I live simply so that I can be more generous. You know, some people, the gospel is a plate of food. We want to hand out tracts and we want to tell people stories, but for some people to go, hey man, I know you're hungry, here's a bag of groceries, Jesus loves you and so do I. They get more out of that gift of generosity than they do out of the message that you can preach to them. How can we be more generous in our living? We've got to be simple first. We've got to live simple lives like Jesus did, so that we can be more generous. So it's a challenging one this week. It's a call to something different. It might push some of your buttons, and that's okay. It's pushed mine over and over. And I still love Jesus, and He still loves me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You that You are kind and gracious and generous beyond measure. I thank You that there is nothing on earth, in heaven, or under it, that is not Yours. Everything is yours, God. And what we have, we truly give back to you, God. We want to be a generous people, Lord. We want to be a people who live in a way that demonstrates your overabundance of generosity, Lord God. Help us to be those who are not in bondage to the idols of this world, who are not chasing after the things of this world, who are not trying to 
trying to keep up with other people's expectations of what it looks like to be successful, God. Help us to be those who give quietly, who give in a way that no one else knows, Lord God. We don't want to be those who are flash about it. We don't do it for popularity, Lord God. We do it as an act of worship. We do it as an act of trust in you, Father, that you are our provider and our protector. And so, Father, I pray for us this week that you would help us, Holy Spirit, come and open up our hearts. Come and dissect it. Lead us into some dark places where we haven't been before and free us where we are still in slavery, Lord God. Set us free where we are in bondage. I thank you, Lord, that you bring true freedom and that that true freedom is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so, Father, this week, even as we focus on this discipline, we want to be those who keep our eyes on Jesus. We want to follow you, Jesus, in everything. And I pray, God, come and speak to us about how to be generous. Come and speak to us about how we can give, how we can sow into the advancement of your kingdom, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' loving name. Amen.